Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today in Mooresville, North Carolina, at Roush Yates Engines, where I'm speaking with the, I always forget to ask my guests their title. It would be CEO of Roush Yates? That's correct. Okay, Doug Yates is here joining us. Thanks for being here, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nate. I'm looking forward to catching up today. Yeah, definitely. So let's start with this place. How long has this building been here? I know that Roush Yates started 13 or 14 years ago was when you guys started the engine program. Yeah, Roush Yates came together at the end of the 2003 season uh, when my dad and uh, Jack and I decided that we were better together than than separate. You know, everybody knows that my dad and Jack were fierce rivals, Two, the only two Ford guys left, and they'd rather beat each other than than anybody else so um you know we saw the landscape of the sport was changing uh toyota was coming in and we knew that they had big resources uh jack had his engine shop in michigan my dad and i uh, built this facility in 2002 uh, before you know we were our original shop uh down off of 85 near the charlotte airport and uh we, we knew it was time to expand and our dream was to have a world-class engine shop, and uh, my dad was a visionary. He saw this building. We actually had the building right across the street with Ricky Rudd, and we had our Texaco Haviland team across the street, and this building was here empty. So 75,000 square feet. We had a lot of business at the time, and on September 11th, 2001, my dad was standing here and closed on the building and thought the, whole, day. Yeah, thought the world was kind of coming to an end as we knew it. And um, But we carried on and uh, built the facility. Growing up, you know, being a son of an engine guy, dreamt of lab coats and engineers and science and great testing labs. He was always partial uh, to helping me as a kid. And, um, and so we built this place and, and it was really ahead of its time. Without this place and the vision that my dad had to build a world-class facility, we wouldn't have had the capability or the ability to bring the programs together. Jack Roush came off winning a championship in 2003 with Matt Kenseth, and he decided it was time to move south and partner up with us. And, and he believed in and myself and what we were doing and it turned out to be a great decision and and something I'm really appreciative of and they let me run it and uh <laughs> you know early on it was it was a lot of fun seeing my dad and Jack talk about engines and racing and competition and beating their fists on the desk on what they wanted in <laughs> engines but it made us better and it was a it was a great decision so proud of it to try to contextualize this for someone who's a relatively recent new fan I started covering NASCAR full-time in 2002 right before this happened and I remember at the time Robert Yates and Jack Roush were not exactly regarded as allies <laughs> despite the fact they both ran Ford they were fierce rivals 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean they would they would rather beat beat each other than than anybody than Rick Hendrick, you know, and 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 it, it almost to the point where it was a problem because we would <laughs> you know work with Ford Motor Company and we would submit something and Jack would submit something, but we didn't really want to show each other what we were doing. So so we knew that uh, competition was good, but ultimately both my dad and and Jack were were wise and and kind of saw the landscape changing, like we said earlier, and. And said, "Hey, we're better together." And and uh, although we've had our moments, uh, some of them pretty tense. I mean, there was a famous story about them leaving Richmond after a race in the rental car. It was my my mom and dad in one car, and Jack, and I'm not sure who else was in the other car, fighting for space, leaving the tunnel, <laughs> and they actually crashed the car. So <laughs> it was a, a bit of a days of thunderish, right, uh, right? If you will, but um, but all true stories, and and uh, and it turned out to be fantastic because put the program together that winter. Uh, everybody said we were crazy. Most people said it wouldn't work. Uh, we worked all winter long to try to come up with the best Roush Yates engine, not not a Yates engine or a Roush engine, but but a Roush Yates engine. And listen to all the ideas that Jack had, which Jack always liked to turn more RPM. There was not a gear rule back then, uh, so he was about RPM and operating temperatures. He ran his engines really hot, and my dad and I always just went for the most power. You know, we were. Uh, and so when we brought all those together, it just made for a great combination. And the my proudest moment, believe it or not, was the very first time out of the gate. We sat on the front row for the Daytona 500 with right. Greg Biffle and Elliot Sadler. Mm-hmm. And to see my dad and Jack and Victory Lane as a, as a front row guys get their picture taken, uh, I just kind of stood to the side and, and uh, really took a lot of pride in, in that moment because it just got – our program off to a great start, set the tone early on. And then later that year, we went on to win the championship with Kurt Busch. So, you know, great beginnings. Uh, it was not easy um, to try to accommodate both of those guys and what they wanted and what they liked was uh, Jack was famous for his Tuesday meetings. He would come down and have a meeting with the car guys and hold everybody accountable. You know, <laughs> had five teams at the point. And if you, it went by finishing order. So if the worst finisher had to go first and the, the best went last and then, after he did that, he would come over to, the, to our place and, and quiz me on engines. And, and, and uh, it was nervous moments for me. I mean, it, right. it, it, he's a brilliant guy. He knows everything about it, an engine. And uh, so I had to really do my homework and study and, and be on top of my game because he, ne- he never failed. He'd ask me about a clearance or a, you know, something, a cam, a valve events, or something very technical. Uh, you know, he was checking me out. And yeah. uh, so I, I went through a lot of deodorant that year. <laughs> Yeah, he's a very demanding man, I think it's fair to say, who works pretty much 24 hours a day or did certainly <laughs> at that point in his life, right? Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, to to for Jack to build his company, you know, I've been to his hometown and, and uh, seen where humble beginnings and to have the vision and passion to pursue uh, the engineering and his degree in mathematics and and um, and and then to go to work for Ford Motor Company and to have the vision that he could help Ford more if he if he started his own company mm-hmm. and Jack Roush engineering and, uh, and, and literally his first, uh, forte in business was he had a drag car, won the race and somebody said, Hey, I'd like to have that engine. He said, okay. And he saw a business opportunity and he would win and sell the engine and, and it just started building it. And today they're a $600 million company and, and perform engineering services all across the world. So he, yeah, he hasn't slept much, and uh, he, Jack has two passions, uh, racing and um, airplanes, and he's good at both of them and, and, uh, and just loves, loves uh, history and 
and uh, the U.S. in this country, and, and that's something that he's really proud of. But, he, but he's an awesome guy, and I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be able to have a lifelong apprenticeship with my dad. And I started working as soon as I could. Uh, I used to go to his shop at when he worked for Junior Johnson and, and go there and just hang out and spend the night in the shop because he'd work all night long. And then uh, Flossie would cook his breakfast on <laughs> Saturday morning, and then and then to be able to, to grow up with him and, and uh, see uh, all the engines and things that we did and being there when Richard Petty won his 200th win with my dad's engine and, and uh, the championship with Bobby Allison and then Davey Allison. And then to be partners with a guy like Jack Roush is, is something that uh, I'm very fortunate and, and just want to continue to make them, both of them, proud as we carry Roush Yates forward. And, you know, both of them are now Hall of Famers. Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that's uh, – you never know about the Hall of Fame. You know, I've sat there with my dad three years before they called his name. And, and I knew – you know, you know as a fan of the sport that both of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. All those guys on the ballot deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There's but a there's reason why they're five on the ballot. every year, yeah. But uh, for, for both Jack Roush and Robert Yates to be in the Hall of Fame is something that, man, I just – Makes me smile. Yeah, that's really cool. They're going in in successive years. Your your dad got inducted this past year. Ra- Jack Roush will be inducted next year. And I want to talk to you about that, Doug. But first, I'm just curious. Like, obviously, your dad and Jack Roush both have passion to win. It sounds like similar work ethic. That your dad's there working all hours of the night at Junior Johnson's shop. But what it, was it? Their personalities that maybe made them rivals a little bit? Because it seems like they had some things in common, certainly. But like, what was it? Do you think was it just different personalities, different approaches to life that made them butt heads a little? Well, they're both born on the same day, April nineteenth. Oh, really? One year apart. <laughs> Jack is that. one year older. Okay. And uh, that's kind of when we put the name together, Roush Yates. Uh, my dad said, "Well, you were born first. Why don't you go first? <laughs> and uh, so that's uh, that was kind of part of that story, but. I don't know. I think it's just both, you know, when you true racers, you know, have a uh, the same drive, you know, it's it's the competition that that drives them to be so good and it's it's similar to the guys that you respect and race against the hardest are the ones you don't like very much. Guys like Rusty Wallace, man, I just could not stand <laughs> Rusty Wallace, you know, I mean, we're beating us on the track and you know, what a what a guy, but now he's you know, we're friends and he's one of the greatest guys ever. It's just that competition drives you to want to beat the next guy. And, and, um, that's the beauty of NASCAR. It's just, it's all about competition, but you know, running the same brand, you have the same platform, you want to be the best forward. Uh, and, and they both wanted to get to, to victory lane first and, and win the Daytona, their first Daytona 500s and, and first championships. And, and, uh, my dad took a lot of pride in winning that championship when Dale Jarrett in 1999 ahead of Jack's championship with Matt in 2003. So that was, you know, something he talked about, but it, it, they're, they were a lot the same in the fact that they knew that you win with advantages, you work hard and you just think about, you know, it's, it's hard work, but it's the passion, it's desire. My dad always told me, he says, you know, every game we ever made, when we went over 700 horsepower, it was Friday night at 7 o'clock. You know, the way you beat somebody is you work harder. You outwork them. Yeah. yeah. And and Jack was the same way. Mm-hmm. And so they shared that uh, that drive. And, and the sacrifice for the sport is something that it's really hard to explain to people how much you give of yourself to, to be a Hall of Famer, to be a winner in NASCAR. It's all in. You don't. I, I, you don't have a golf game. You have a racing game. Your right. your your hobby, your passion, your life. It's all wrapped up in this one thing, this sport, NASCAR, and and that's what they shared. And I think that mutual respect is 
is what ultimately brought brought them together. But but man, it was it was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, that's a single-minded determination that's hard to find, except anywhere maybe in professional sports and racing especially. So that rental car crash at Richmond. Did the insurance companies determine who was at fault? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or do you think they both were at fault? I suppose they were if they were uh, merging at the same time. I imagine they both went back and told uh, Libby. Was, Libby Gant was our uh, secretary, and she took care of all that stuff. And I think he just said, Libby, just fix this. You know, and Jack <laughs> probably did the same thing. It was, you know, I mean, they're used to crashing lots of things. And, you know, I mean, growing up, racing cars. My dad, you know, he grew up here in Charlotte, the son of a Baptist preacher. But he had 16 speeding tickets when he was 16 years old. And I ultimately asked him to leave the city. And he went and lived with his sister in Mars Hill. And it turned out to be a great thing because he wasn't doing very good in school and, and worked all the time and, and, um, and, and slept a lot in school. And the teacher said that your only kid, I know that your head hits the table before you, your book even opens. <laughs> uh, but he ultimately went to senior year in Mars Hill and lived with his sister, which was great. But Jack was the same way. The the initial first crash he had, uh, I think he said it, he hit so hard he even lost his shoes. But So, I mean, they're just a passion for making cars go fast, hot riding, and, and uh, turn that into a, a living and, and a business. For both of them. Both of them visionaries, as you said, and you were talking, Doug, about the vision your dad had for this place, 75,000 square foot building where Roush Yates is housed. What was it before, and how did he see this and know th- this is where the, in- the, p- the seed can be planted for a great engine company? Yeah, so when I started, uh, when I graduated college in 1990, I uh, got out, and we owned three engines, one distributor, one carburetor, one manifold. That's all we had, wow. and, and we had about 12 people total on the team. It was in a pretty small shop, and we just continued to work on that engine. Uh, and and we had a, a a new cylinder head, the C3 head. A lot of people call it the Yates head, and um, and that was a huge advantage for us because back then the engines were highly modified and not very tightly regulated. You know, NASCAR didn't. They had templates, but not. They didn't measure a lot of things. <laughs> so we had a huge advantage. At one point, we had about 50 horsepower on the field. In the early 90s. Wow. If you can imagine that today. I mean, it was incredible. Finally, NASCAR got tired of because Junior Johnson was also running a Ford, and he was behind, and he wanted a new cylinder head. Uh, he had a different theory on how, how airflow worked than, than my dad. And my dad and his guys have done just an amazing job. So finally they said, look, Robert, there can only be one Ford head. So we, we knew we were at a point like, all right, if we're going to keep this advantage, we're going to have to share it with the rest of the Ford teams. So in 1991, we had to, sh- to give that head and manifold and basically a recipe. So Gary Nelson came over from NASCAR. He and my dad and I stayed there all night, made templates. And that really started what we know today as far as all the measurements that we go through. Mm-hmm. So we had to give that head to, to all the Ford teams. And at that time, you know, um, Jack got the benefit of it. The Wood Brothers actually won their first race with it, the second race out at – Michigan with Dale Jarrett, and oh, we right. ran second okay. to yeah. him with Davey Allison. Can you imagine that? We gave no. him our, <laughs> gave him the horsepower, and then they beat us. But but we knew that that would that would be ultimately what we needed to do. But there were a lot of Fords running back then. Everybody was doing their own engines. But but the Wood Brothers like to tell the story. You can ask Lynn and Eddie. But when the first dyno pull, the first dyno pull they made, it was 50 horsepower better than what they had. That's incredible. And they have to give up that ingenuity to everybody else. Right. Yeah. So, so through the years, we just kept working on it, and Ford helped fund fund our program, mm-hmm. as well as they helped Jackson as well to come up with new manifolds and combinations. Uh, but after we won the championship in 1999 with Dale Jarrett, 
a lot of people wanted to lease our engines. I told my dad, I, I didn't have any ownership in the company. I said, all right, well, if we're partners, then we can move forward. And so we set up a satellite engine shop and we had lots of teams. So we had about eight teams. So we kind of saw this was building where everybody built their own engines and mm -hmm. now it was starting to consolidate. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a business plan. We just did a good job and everybody wanted to lease our engines. So we said, okay, well, and, and we kind of saw some of the same things going on. Hendrick was leasing engines and, and Toyota was going to do all their engines ultimately. So we said, well, we need a facility. And my dad laid this out on a napkin. There was not a computer program to do it. Mm -hmm. he, he just said, this is what I think an engine shop needs to look like. I built half a dozen of them in my lifetime and set them up. And, uh, and as you go through here, you can, it's very open. There's lots of windows. You can see everybody working. Ultimately downtown, we didn't have enough dyno test capability. And, uh, we only have one, well, we had about three dynos at the time, started out with one expanded, but we really needed a bigger space for engine dynamometers as well as all these programs. So we built a building and about that time Dodge came into the sport and took some teams. Kmart filed for bankruptcy, got out of the sponsorship for Travis Carter. And we just had our two teams and some road race activity said, uh oh, yeah. what, what are we gonna do now? Yeah. You know, we built this facility and that's that's kinda when Jack had his had his five cars and the Wood Brothers it it really lent itself to to bring it all together then. But but the consolidation of engine building NASCAR making us give up that cylinder head, everybody kind of getting to, to one platform instead of just all over the place with engines, the advent of CNC machines. So before everything was done on a manual mill or lathe, and so my By dad... By hand versus CNC is all computer controlled. Correct. Yeah, yeah computer controlled uh, machining. And back then everything was done by hand. It took three months to make one set of cylinder heads. You know, so the reason why we only had a couple <laughs> engines is because it took so long to sure. build that cylinder head. It was so, uh, so special. And uh, so we kind of, my dad said, well, if we're going to build more engines, we need to be able to make these heads faster. So we bought our first piece of CNC equipment, a Morsiki MV40, and uh, hired a guy to program it. And we started cutting just simple things, just cut the chambers. They'll speed things up. And the guys in the shop told my dad, he says, we had this really awesome machinist. His name is James Luter, a best-known machinist in the business. He told my dad, he says, boy, that machine's going to put you out of business. <laughs> and uh, and ultimately, we got the cylinder head machining perfected. We took the cylinder head timing from three months to weeks at that point and could really move faster. And today, we have a separate facility outside of here that's uh, – 40,000 square feet, and we own 40 CNC machines today. Uh, we have a lot of help with uh, Gene Haas and Haas uh, Automation right. and uh, and a lot of their equipment in that facility that makes all the parts. So back then you would just call up a supplier and order a camshaft or order a piston. Basically, kind of that's the way you built the engine. You work with all the suppliers, and over time as the engineering uh, advanced and we brought on more engineers and more technology now we design every single component in the engine spec it out manufacture about 40 percent of the parts that go in the engine uh, through our machine shop and uh, test all that but that's the way it's changed it consolidated became more engineering driven and it's really very precise and very engineering 
uh, driven today and, and a very highly refined engine as opposed to how it was when everybody built their own engines and in, in, at the start of this. And largely driven, like you said, by technology for the most part. Was, is there any, just kind of curious, like this popped in my head, I mean, it sounds like it was more like sort of a, an artisan's approach. Uh, in the past when everything was done on, on the lathe, like you were saying, and done by hand. Does anything get lost when it switches completely to CNC manufacturing and like where it's, I mean, obviously it's great that it's, I'm sure it's much more efficient and much more precise, like you were saying, but is it a different kind of engine when it's not handcrafted? <laughs> yeah. Much? Yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, to answer that. So when we moved, uh, when we brought our programs together at the beginning of 2004, uh, we had very similar cylinder heads but we had eight engine builders building the engine kind of their own way gapping the rings fitting the bearings rolling the pistons this is just from an assembly process right and when the engine got to the dynamometer the performance was all over the place and so through time through efficiencies and it's really starting to break down the sub-assembly processes where there's one way you know through testing to to build the engine uh, now when we run an engine dynamometer test on a certain specification, it's a very tight window. The engines at New Hampshire this weekend will all be within, you know, two or three horsepower at mm -hmm. the max. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it's come over time. Now, what you lose with that is a lot of the fun and ingenuity and change on the fly, things that we used to do uh, back in the day. And that's really the reason why you would see a lot of engine failures as well is because your only test bed was at the track in the car. Now we have dynamometers here. Uh, that can run full race simulation. So whenever we come up with a new component, it doesn't leave the shop until it has run several races and gone through all the checks, just like the engine was in the car. Uh, so the science has improved the process. The testing here in-house has improved that process. The predictability of everything that's going to happen is greater. But with that, I think just like a lot of things in the sport, it's not as uh, hands-on and, and uh see the pants and driven by guys like Jack Roush or Robert Yates or, you know, uh, making calls on the fly Saturday night, sitting in the motor home or at the hotel, thinking about what springs and shocks to run uh, and, and what should we do for ignition timing and, and reading the spark plugs and making fueling changes. Right. All of those things have been decided at the shop and based on the current weather. So a lot of advancements, improvements, but, you know, the good old days were still the good old days. In the case of fuel injection, that was another thing that, like, Jack Roush used to work on, like, the carburetor jettings on race morning on every car, right? And obviously, that's not really something you can do yeah. anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, that's I miss that as well. I mean, you you, you know, you would get a plug check, and you come in, you pull the spark plugs out, and you get your plug light out, and you would read every single cylinder, and you could know how much ignition timing and fueling adjustment that you need to make. Uh, you could grind on the manifold in at the track or yeah. or make adjustments to the carburetor with bend the boosters or tweak the butterflies or add fuel or take fuel away and that was a lot of fun but but at the same time it was very very hands-on and very craft like yeah, you said right. earlier and i think that was a good time but i tell you what the when nascar brought the mclaren uh, fuel injection system and the ecus on board it really changed the game for us as a company as far as attracting engineering talent. You know, because before you would get guys, say, Man, I don't I don't know, you guys are very antiquated. You still work with distributors and carburetors and yeah. you know, I I want you know, I want more data, you know. So right. it's really changed the game and, and now we have an engineering staff of about forty people that are continually working to 
to refine the engine. Lots of data, a lot of young engineers that are excited about coming in and and trying to make this engine and all the processes better. And then we send a staff, a team to the track that's pulling the data off the cars after they come in and going through the data and making adjustments. And, and now it's, you know, the, yeah. the back in the day when we pull the spark plugs out and pull the plug light out, now it's on the computer. And, and so I think that that's cool. And I think that that's something that we got to keep looking ahead as a sport. You know, there's a fine line between, I always say NASCAR is the balance between competition and entertainment. Sure. Yep. And, and if yeah, one of those, more so now than ever. Yeah. yeah. And if one of those gets out of balance and then, then it's not a very good show, or if it's too much one way, people consider it to be, you know, kind of a little stage. So, yeah, I love the sport and I, I'm, I'm really uh, passionate about our future and, and want to make sure that we're, we're, I want to help be a, you know, at least a voice and to try to help, help uh, bring good ideas and sh- show what I see, mm-hmm. you know, from, from our experiences to the table. And like I said, when, when they took the carburetors away, Jack said they retired him. Um, <laughs> at least on race morning. At yeah. least on race morning. <laughs> and, and I understand that. But at the same point, we, we also uh, opened this board up to a lot of talent. So you, you mentioned, Doug, so there's two buildings involved in the company? There's there's actually three. So three, okay. Yeah, wow. so we've expanded. So it's more than just this. <laughs> exactly. So this is, uh, you know, as we said, this is uh, 75,000 square feet where we do our NASCAR engine business with the Cup and Xfinity programs. We outgrew. We'd always been involved in the road racing business, uh, well, since 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Panos came to us and said, hey, you know, I have basically an aluminum version uh, of a short tech aluminum version of your Cup engine. Uh, and I'm racing in this series, and I want to go to Lamar. Would you guys be interested in doing it? And Ford helped with that. Yeah. And so that was our first look at fuel injection and and this engine and going racing at Lamar. And we've been involved with that ever since. Uh, when Jim France changed the IMSA series over to the DP cars, we 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 were at that first event with Multimatic in 2003, I believe. And um, and we've had a lot of success. You know, winning the Rolex 24 uh, four times now with Mike Shank and then with Chip Ganassi uh, with the DP car and the and the Ford GT is something I'm really proud of. And then and then ultimately going back to Le Mans 50 years after Ford beat Ferrari right. in that classic battle, the very first year, you know, no pressure, right? Right. Uh, that was two years ago in 2016? 2016, 2016 yeah. So um, Edsel Ford is awesome, man. What a great guy. And the Ford family is so passionate about, about racing. Uh, but but it was a big decision for them to go back. You know, Edsel was there 50 years ago with his dad. He was a teenager at the time. He, he knows the significance of that race, the 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 stage, and to make a decision to go back was a big big deal. But um, you know, it's like his dad uh, said, "It's just win." Is what Edsel's words to us is, "Just <laughs> no, win." Like you said, no pressure. <laughs> 50 first, years later, first year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, but the but the brilliance of the decision is we uh, we entered the EcoBoost engine, the the twin turbo V6 that's in the Ford cars on the street. We raced that with Chip Ganassi two years ahead of that, and so we got through the growing pains early days of that engine and won Le Mans, which was which was just awesome. But we have a facility that just concentrates on the road racing as well. Uh, the GTLM with the Ford GT and all the Ford Mustangs with the GT4 series. Um, that's in this business park. And then we outgrew. This was the CNC shop right behind us. <laughs> and uh, my and dad. now you have 40,000 square feet where you have, you said, 40 machines? 40 machines, Over yeah. There. Okay, wow. Yeah, so we, we've, we've grown and expanded, and we have 185 awesome, dedicated employees that, that help make all this happen. And uh, 
and yeah, so we're we're growing. So was this building then purpose built for this, Doug, or did it exist already? And your dad said that's it. Or? Yeah, this building existed. It was an old steel uh, processing okay. plant, and, and he just saw it and said that's that's the place. That's the yeah. place, and it was it was kind of empty and dirty and nasty, and he just he had a vision for it. We talked a lot of technical, and I want to talk a little bit sentimental, emotional, because your dad was uh, so beloved by so many fans, and I hear that all the time. I mean, I feel like it's Davey Allison and Robert Yates when I hear longtime fans talk about like the people who meant something to them in NASCAR who are no longer with us, unfortunately. And we lost your dad uh, last fall, and he was inducted posthumously into the Hall of Fame, essentially a speech that he had made the last month of his life. Yeah, yeah. Dan Zacharias worked with uh, my dad on the speech, and, uh, you know, d- to hear Dale Jarrett read that speech, and that was right. the first time that I've heard it. You know, they, they'd ask us that morning at the Hall of Fame at the rehearsal if we, my mom and sister and I, if we wanted to hear it, let us wait. I don't know, my heart couldn't stand it. You know, I, I mean, he 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 tried so hard to make it there i mean that was his goal and to make it to that uh to the ceremony but he knew he was in the hall of fame and that was the best thing sure. i mean my gosh for a guy who i can't even describe it's hard to put words together to tell you how much being in the hall of fame meant to him i mean he loved the sport so much although you know he retired in 2007 and shut robert yates racing down which was really hard on him it, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of akin to being an olympic athlete your whole life and then not it was a tough deal for him and the people there what makes me proud is when you hear people talk about robert yates racing all the people that work with him how much they really appreciated it but um he knew he was in and i think that in a lot of ways completed his life and that's how much it meant to him not being involved in the team side anymore doug and knowing like like you said robert yates racing had such a huge place in history and winning the championship with dj and success with with davy allison or me irvin and other drivers do you still feel invested in the same way in nascar you said you know you you want obviously you care a lot about racing and about nascar and you want it to be successful and you and you're still such a part of it but is it is it a different perspective here versus the team side it it is it, it was really um First, I just wanted to make my dad proud. You know, that's to grow up beside him, to work beside him. Uh, very similar to Bobby Allison and Davey Allison. I, I wanted to make sure I could take it to the next step. Just like Davey wanted to do better than his dad to make his dad proud. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the same thing. And for a long time, I, I really felt like I need to be a cup owner and I need to sit at the head table like my dad did. That's something that's important to me. But as time went on, I've grown to understand as specialized as the sport is, it, it's just really hard to do that these days. You know, back years ago, I thought I wanted to be engine builders were also crew chiefs mm-hmm. and chief mechanics. And and that's something that when I was really on the team, I wanted to you know, be a crew chief until I called a race and Ray Abraham chewed me out for <laughs> holding Jeff Gordon up at Phoenix. And they're like, <laughs> maybe this is not it. All that I thought it was going to be. So, how many um, races did you do as a crew chief? I did probably, you know, well, that one race I did by myself because, you know, uh, we ran three cars that day with Kenny Irwin gotcha. at Phoenix and, okay. and Slugger and and Todd were on the other two boxes. But um, I, d- I did a handful of races and and uh, call the race and it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's exciting to be on top of the pit box and and calling those shots and being part of the team. And you know, I got to carry. My first job was a signboard guy. Back when signboard guys were signboard guys, we went out on pit road. You went out as far as you can, and you kind of, you know, it was actually an important role to make sure the car stopped in the right spot. Yeah, yeah, and I and I thought about it for a minute. Like, 
I'm not sure if they're trying to get rid of me or not. <laughs> <laughs> College graduate out here holding the sign, but I got I got to do that, carry tires, change tires, be on top of the pit box, and there's nothing better than being on a team. You, I miss that feeling. That that was such a special time. Um, but back then it was single car teams and. You built the engines, you worked on the cars, you did everything. But today it's so specialized. I'm settled into my role here. I'm proud of the fact that Ford Motor Company is our partner and trusts us and believes us. And I have a huge responsibility to to all of our teams and put out a great product and take care of you know all the all the teams that we that we build engines for. You know, I never say never. You know, maybe the sport will come back around where you know it used to be that if you're a millionaire. You could kind of own a team. Now, basically, you have to be a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, you need many millions. Yeah, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I don't see that in my my near future. But, but yeah. I, I do um, love being part of the sport, and I'm glad to be in the role I'm in. Yeah, well, probably better to be in this role than to be yelled at on race day by Ray Abraham or perhaps Chad Knauss would be the guy yelling at you now yeah. if you held yeah, up yeah, that's, that's, uh, Yeah, <laughs> you know, you gotta have pretty thick skin. And engine builders are a little bit, you know. We we uh, we're a different group of guys, right. you know. We're we're probably our feelings are probably a little bit more uh, different than, than crew chiefs. But but anyway, it's um it's a great sport. And but my dad, my he was my best friend, you know. And we spent so many days talking about driving to the racetrack, just he and I, and riding up and down the road. I mean, he, you know, we we spent so much time together. I just felt like I knew him as good as anybody. I feel like he knew me as good as anybody. People said, don't have any regrets. You know, when you know that things are imminent, you you, you know, you want to make sure you say all the things and, and have all the talks. And the very last week he was alive, he was laying in the bed, and, and uh, I would go over the house every night. We sit there and God, said, what am I going to talk about tonight? So I said, all right, Dad, who's, your f- who's your favorite driver? Who's the best driver you've ever worked for? worked with and man an hour and a half later we finally stopped talking and I said dad I gotta go home and get some rest see my kids and but but he said Bobby Allison Bobby Allison was the guy and, and, and told me Bobby <laughs> Allison stories and Davey Allison and Ernie Irvin and Dale Jarrett and he loved Dale Jarrett first love was Davey Allison Davey was like a second he was like a son to my dad they were so close you know, when he started at Rainier Lundy, Kel Yarbrough was in the car. Kel was retiring at the end of his deal. And they said, well, who are we going to put in the car? And they wanted to put Rusty Wallace in the car. And my dad said, Davey Allison's the guy. And they said, why do you say that? He said, well, he had built arc engines for him, and he watched him around his dad through all those years. And they said, he said, trust me, Davey's the guy. Rainier still owned the team. This was before he bought it, a year later. And, and they put it in there and right away. I mean, success, you know, outside right. pole at Daytona with no sponsors on the car and the yeah. pole at Rockingham and po- five poles that year as a rookie. But when, you know, when Ernie got in the car, it was magic. You know, he got in the car at Darlington. He and Dale Earnhardt were swapping, trading paint, going down the front stretch. And we said, Ernie, why are you doing that? He said, I just want to let him know I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I can drive. Oh, man. <laughs> it was so special. And we won the third race out at Martinsville with him. And then we won Charlotte in the fall in October 1993. Just lapped everybody except for the second-place car. And one of the most talented guys ever get in the car. And then Ernie got hurt. Like, man, we just went through Davey's accident. Ernie, you know, almost lost his life at Michigan. Now what are we going to do? At first, do we even want to do this? And then now what are we going to do? And so my dad came to the whole group. And he said, 
Dale Jarrett's our guy. And we all you know, kind of looked at each other like, Dale Jarrett, I mean, he's good. He had won a few races he's at that a, point, but like he was kind of more like veteran sort of journeyman than right. title contender. Yeah. But my dad believed so much in, in DJ, and he said, yeah. he's the guy. And we're like, well, okay, if you say so, boss. You know, we were um, – Dad, boss, um, and then and then the first year with with Larry McReynolds and the twenty eight car, it was tough. It was high expectations. It was not smooth. But man, when Todd Parrott and Dale Jarrett and Ford Quality Care got together, it was game on, and it was it was just instant. It was magic. It was like when Ernie got in our car. It was just so much fun and unbelievable, unbelievable run. But my dad was the one who said uh, Dale's guy, and, and Dale they shook hands, and Dale won with Gibbs, Charlotte, after they sh- shook hands. So my dad and I looked at each other, and we said, oh, I don't know, man. Do you think he's still going to come? <laughs> you know, our, He just won the biggest it, race of the year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you think he's going to still and, – and Dale called my dad right after, and he said, I'm a man of my word. I'm on the way. So in each instance with those three drivers, it sounds like your dad believed in a guy and took a chance on a guy and had faith in a guy, and it was rewarded. Ford came to my dad and said, we want to beat that three car. Let's hire Dale, G- Dale Sr., and my dad had been through that. He and Dale were friends and close. And he said, I don't think that's what we need to do. And they said, well, what do you mean? We can get Dale Earnhardt. And he said, you give me Dale Jarrett and this Ford quality care car will beat that. Beat the other Dale. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's pretty, but he believed that much in it. And we went to Daytona and won the Daytona 500 and beat that three good wrench car a lot. And uh, that's something that he, he was really really proud of is that you know he remembered when Ford hired Richard Petty it turned out not to be a good good deal because you know you 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 want to have the best guy but you want to make that best guy part of the team from the beginning you you don't want to change the brand you want to build the brand and and I feel like that's what um he he took a lot of pride in that with Dale Jarrett and the Ford quality care car and 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 ultimately the UPS car down the road but um that was that was kind of the mission, but he believed in them, and that's the way the sport was built. You know, when when there was a paint scheme to be made, the artist graphics would send the paint scheme in, and he would look at the car and make tweaks. And I'm not sure we need this or need that. And you heard Richard Childress's story about the three car; they wanted to be blue, and he he ended up making it black. Right. That's what guys like Richard Childress and Robert Yates did. I mean, they that's what they did all the time. It wasn't just a decision handed down. They they owned everything about their teams their people they were their family the drivers they selected the how passionate they were my dad number one thing is don't ever question the driver if you question the driver then the beginning of the end's near and we had to go through some drivers but not many everybody that sat in our car won a pole and everybody but one won a race every single driver right that's a testament to picking the right guys full-time driver yeah we had some guys that substituted um while davy after davy got hurt and but full-time guys, every single one of them won a pole, and that was important to us. I think that shows that your dad knew, as as much as he knew about engines and horsepower, he knew as much about managing a team, owning a team, and getting it to run right, Doug. That's interesting, and I can see, as you talk about it, I can see like why you would miss that side of it, but is there some consolation in that, I mean, whenever a Ford car wins, I always feel like it's the sponsors, it's the team owner, it's maybe their wife or family, and then they think, 
Doug Yates. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Yates, is it nice to you know, like hear that, to always be thanked by people in victory lane when they win with your engines? It is. You know, my wife and kids love it probably yeah. as much as me. But really, when they say my name, when they say Doug Yates, they're thanking everybody here at Roush Yates Engines. And that's what I tell my guys all the time. I say, guys, I'm, I'm trying to stand out in front of it and represent us. My goal is not to be a TV star. My goal is to be successful, win races, and represent our company well. And when they mention my name, they it's really everybody here's name. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's important. But, you know, when you're all in in the sport, you, you kind of help influence things. Uh, you know, I think that Penske making the switch back to Ford and using our engines – that was a lot of pressure for us, but it, uh, it, it was a vote of confidence from yeah. Roger Penske. Validated you guys because he had his own engine shop that he could have continued to run, That's and then he went with you. That's yeah. right. And when Stuart Haas made the change, one of the questions was, who's going to build the engines? You know, it really made you feel good because they trust you, and they know that. I mean, look, we have a business, but our business is winning races, and if we win races, the rest of it takes care of itself. You win with advantages, and, and I, I feel like the time spent on the team – has made me a better engine builder. The best compliment that I think I've ever received was, or recently received, was when Kevin Harvick said, Roush Yates is an engine shop that operates like a race team. And that meant so much to me because it wasn't, well, they're a business and it, it's, they're, they're... They're not worried about the bottom line revenue-wise. They're worried about bottom line winning yeah. and results. Right. Yeah, they're in it with yeah. us. They're part yeah. of our team. And that was a really big compliment. And Kevin Harvick is, I mean, he's one of the best guys hands down. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of those guys like Dale Jarrett, Davey Allison, and Ernie Irvin in my book. I mean, he, when he talks, listen, because he when he gives you feedback, listen, because he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he needs to win races. And and the best pressure in the world is is when you know that the guy behind the wheel can get it done. And if you don't win, you got to work on your part. Right, right. It's on and you. The, and it's... that's what you get with guys like Kevin Harvick and, and uh, Dale Jarrett and and Davey Allison is, you know that their capability every single week is here. And if you're not there, you know you got some work to do. Well, in, in the case of Kevin Harvick, Doug, I know you're still intimately involved in the team side there because during the Daytona race, I'm not, I can't remember which NBC pit reporter it was, but somebody interviewed Rodney Childers during the Daytona race a few weeks ago, and Rodney said that you were texting him during the course of the race. <laughs> you do that often? <laughs> and, and what are you texting crew chiefs uh, no. during races? No, I don't do that often. Daytona is my favorite track. Um, (laughs) It means a lot to win there, any race, every race that you compete in there. And I got a little excited, (laughs) and it looked like he was going to win. Yeah, Yeah. it looked like he had a shot. And and so we give the teams parameters. We have a pre-event meeting here, just like the teams do. We send out the parameters earlier in the week, procedural things they should do on the list. And this is the guidebook. And then when it comes down to the end, and we want to win, forget about all that. I got to send Rodney a text, tell him he can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't do that yeah. uh do this and and i think it'll improve our restart performance and and um although the guys at the shop may be mad at me after <laughs> if if something goes wrong uh, at this point i just want to win and get the checker flag and put it on the wall and that's really all i care about okay so that's actually competition related stuff that's not just hey let, let's go get them it's, no 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 that's, <laughs> this that's is what you should be doing <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, suggestion suggestions okay very good You've had a lifelong relationship, Doug, with Ford in a world, a NASCAR world, racing world, world period, where deals kind of come and go. What is it about Ford that has been so synonymous with your family for so long? Family. I can't imagine doing anything else. I take a lot of pride in the fact that the Ford family is still directly involved in the company. They are major shareholders. It's, It's their company, and they're passionate about racing. You know, Ford was founded on racing. Henry Ford 
won a race uh, with the car named Sweepstakes, right. October 1901, that started the company. And, and without that, it may not be the same uh, today. So, and Edsel Ford and his son, Henry III, and his other sons, and carry that on today, and Bill Ford and everybody that's involved. So I take a lot of pride in the fact that we've been, I've been Ford my entire career, and we've won a lot of races together. They've lent a lot of support. One of the best moments was when we won the championship with Dale Jarrett. Edsel Ford was at the head table. Edsel and his wife, Cynthia, were sitting at the head table as a sponsor with Ford Quality Care, but also as our as our partner and manufacturing partner and, and family friend. And it's important to me that we have success and, and we give back because they give so much and they provide resources to go out and do what we, we do. And these past couple of years have been a the, probably one of the best times I can remember being involved in, with Ford. The early 90s, we had a lot of Ford success, you know, with a lot of Alan Kowicki and Bill Elliott and our car with Davey Allison. But in the most recent years, there has been a, I say, almost a renewed commitment to Ford, from Ford to say, hey, let's go get Roger Penske back in our cam. Let's go back to Le Mans and, and win the race with a ground-up design with a Ford GT. Let's go bring Stuart Haas over to our team, a championship-winning race team, and then given us the resources we need to go and invest in engineering centers and invest in talent and, and compete on the level of Toyota. Hey, they, they have raised the bar, and, uh, and Ford recognizes that, and, and, and uh, you know, you can't just try to get where they're at. you got to overshoot that to, to be able to go and compete, and I feel like uh, through the leadership of Dave Parasak, who's now moved on uh, in, within the company, and he's going to do great things in the company, but the leadership from Joe Heinrich and Jim Farley and Bill Ford, Edsel Ford, uh, is is greater than I've ever seen in racing, and and they want to win championships. You know, that's something that's eluded us for since 2004. Yeah, it's hard to believe when you think about that. Yeah, we've wow. been so close, and yeah. Jimmy Johnson guy got in our way a couple, <laughs> a couple times. He's ruined it for a lot of people. Don't he, feel bad. Yes, <laughs> but um, but I'm I'm proud, and it's a great moment. And and I would say the 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 what I how I characterize it is that Ford's on offense, and and that's what you have to be to to win races and compete for championships and and we have a lot of work to do you know so uh, when you see that 78 car you know rising again not that he was ever down but starting to come back uh, i think that's um really motivation for us to to make sure that we're dotting every i and crossing every t to finish the season strong and i know we are very capable but, you know, Kentucky was a great race for us. We had eight cars in the top 12, but the problem is we didn't win. Didn't have the first one. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when somebody says, hey, that was a really good race. Like, well, by today's standards, no. <laughs> that's how Kevin Harvick <laughs> looks at it, too. That's right. <laughs> Only and one it, position matters. That's yeah. right. And and that's that's the attitude you have to have. And, and I hope we'll be positioned well and be able to bring it home for the four this year. That's going to require, obviously, some some long-term planning. And we've looked back a lot here. I want to close, Doug, just by looking ahead a little bit. I was on SiriusXM this morning, and I had a caller who said, What's the deal with V8 engine, you know, the, the push rod, you know, not just for relevance sake, but for competition's sake. This guy was suggesting maybe NASCAR needs to start looking ahead here with the engine architecture. What would you like to see directionally from NASCAR in terms of like where the engine goes and then your vision on maybe like what NASCAR engines might look like 5, 10, 20 years from now? 
Yeah, well, I think it's it's kind of back to what we talked about earlier. I think technology is important to keep people attracted to to our industry and to to our company. You know, I mean, you you want to make sure you're working on things that are exciting and new and, and giving back to Ford Motor Company. Uh, we've done that through our work with the Ford GT and the EcoBoost engine. We've done that through our work with the Mustang engine. It's a 5.2 liter V8. You know, those things are exciting. I think you have to plan. I think you have to be have a vision. Uh, NASCAR. You know, we're working closely with them on what that vision looks like. I mean, how many years out could we have something that, you know, maybe looks more like a production-based engine? Um, you know, this all started with stock engines and stock cars, and I'm not opposed to, let's look at that again. What does an engine out of a Mustang look like in a, in a Mustang on the racetrack? Mm-hmm. And the guy who drives it up to the track kind of sees his product on the track, and we're, we're making more power than what he drove to the track with, of course, because that's what we do. We, we live on the edge of performance. And uh, as long as they keep some racing in it um, and the competition in it, I, I think we should be thinking about more production-relevant technology and giving back and, and keeping the manufacturers interested in what we're doing. And, and, and not just from a marketing effort to say they have their, their logo on the car, the blue oval, but right. but how do, how do we make sure that those things that we race on Sunday give back to the cars that they make? But, you know, winning, when you win on Sunday, you sell on Monday. That still is the reason why these manufacturers are interested. And if the fans want to see more of what they what they drive uh, on the racetrack, I think we should be very open-minded and start working towards that. You know, we've got to be smart about it. We all have millions of dollars worth of inventory. And how do we make a plan to kind of wind that down and mm-hmm. ramp this up? But technology is a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, um, and you've got to use it the right way. And, but, but if we can, if we can do that, I think, I think we'll all be, you know, people want to come to work every day and learn something, you know, they want to get paid well, treated well, but also be part of something exciting and, and, and looking ahead to the future, not, not to the past. So I'm very open-minded about it. I just think we just have to do it the right way. I mean, streetcar version of a Mustang, some models have like 600 horsepower now, right? Yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's cars. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, engine performance has come a long ways, and and uh, 600 is not not that difficult. It's just how do you do how do you do that for with a production-based engine for 500 miles <laughs> and a NASCAR yeah, application? Yeah, making it last. Yeah, and and, yeah. and the RPM is you know much higher than a sure. than a streetcar and all those things. So, I, I think that you know all the manufacturers and NASCAR need to work together and figure out that solution. But I think it's an exciting time. You know, it's you look ahead and you you kind of uh, we're really fortunate to be able to race cars for a living and build engines for a living. And I think we all got to remember that. And all of the sports, um, you know, every sport goes through cycles. Uh, I'm excited about the future. Yeah. You know, I just want to, you know, we had to be smart about it and, um, and work together. And, you know, it, 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 the challenge is, you know, the Ford base engine is an overhead cam engine. General Motors traditionally has more pushrod engine technology. I'm not so certain about Toyota as much as I am, uh, a GM and Ford, but how do you, if you bring a production-based engine and they're different architectures, how would that work? Right. Or do you require everybody to kind of, all right, here's a new architecture, everybody build something to this. That That's the big question for NASCAR because the last thing we want is a balance of performance series. You don't want somebody to say, all right, next week you don't get as much power as you had this week. Right. That's not, com- that's not true competition. Right. right. It's competition. You don't want equivalent equivalency fo- formulas. Correct. You just want it to be wide open. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's that's a that's a hard part for you know Jim France, Brian France, Steve O'Donnell, Mike Helton to figure out. Yeah. Right. That's their that's their uh, that's the tough job they have ahead of them. But but if we all work together, we'll figure it out. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. In the meantime, much success to you on the racetrack. You 
look for that first championship in 14 years. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. This was fun, and uh, I really enjoy your work. I mean, you you do a great job. You represent our sport well, and I'm really proud to to uh, want to turn on the TV to see you on, <laughs> see you on there hanging out with the guys. Thanks, Doug. That's very kind. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, the NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Please leave a rating or review. That really helps us out. And if you have any feedback, please send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.